So good to be with you here today. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. I can say to everyone because you either are a mother or you have a mother. So make sure you're celebrating Mother's Day and doing it right today. Some of you may not know this about me. Some of you do. But I love canoeing. I love pretty much anything there is to do with canoeing. And it's all Pastor Wally Mills' fault. When I was a teenager, before there was the, what we call it now, the dad-lad campout, before there was the dad-lad campout, there was the father-son canoe trips. Anyone remember father-son canoe trips? They were, I know I'm an old guy, but I see some people here that I know I went on some of those trips with. And Wally Mills took me on my very first canoe trip, and I don't know what it was about canoeing, something about the feel of that paddle in my hand and the way the canoe cuts through the water so effortlessly. And, and then the places you could go, that you can only get there with a canoe. You can't fly in there, the lakes are too small, you can't drive there, you can't even hike in there. The only way to see those things and experience that is to go on these canoe trips. And I just, I just love it. And as I'm talking about this and I'm thinking about the mist on the lake in the early morning and that hot cup of coffee or hot chocolate in your hands, or you're sitting on a rock and some of you are going, yeah, that doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> Because, see, I know it's not for everyone. I mean, for me, it's, it's a risk-reward thing. I, I can put up with all the, the portaging and the carrying all your stuff and eating. What, what do they say? Camping is nature's way of saying, why not sleep on rocks and eat burnt food? But it's worth it because of what you get to do and what you get to see. I, I, I just love it. But I understand that not all of you love it. And, and so, so don't... Don't get it wrong, maybe a canoe trip is not the best Mother's Day present this morning. But because we, you either don't like canoeing or camping or roughing it for one of two reasons. Either you don't like the stuff I was just talking about. It's too much work. The food isn't always the greatest. You know, the, the rocks that are underneath your tent. It's always right in the middle of your back. Uh, you know, those things will put you off. Maybe it's the mosquitoes or the black flies, which are even worse. But there's another reason people don't like roughing it, and that is... Because sometimes there's an element of fear involved, right? We're, we're afraid of what might happen when we're out there in the wilderness, right? You know, uh, what, if I, what if I hurt myself when I'm out in the middle of nowhere and there's no one around to help me? How, it, what, what, what do you do? Um, I still think it's worth it because you're probably more likely to get hurt in a car accident on the way to Algonquin Park than to actually get hurt on your trip. But that's just me. I, I'm not trying to force this on anyone. But I'll tell you, I am afraid of a few things when I go on a canoe trip. And I want to show you a picture of the thing I'm afraid of the most. Yeah, I know. I'm a wuss. No. Cute little cuddly black bears. Are they? You just want to go pet them. Maybe take some pictures. Not me. If I were to see that on the portage trail, I'm carrying my canoe and my pack on my back, and I see those, I would be trying to get out of there as fast as possible. You know why? Because there's a mama bear nearby. There's always a mother bear when there's cute little cubs, and you don't want to mess with a mama bear. We all know that. In fact, there's an expression, right? Mothers, you've probably heard this expression. When someone threatens your kids and someone says to you and says, oh, no, I see the mama bear coming out. We all know 
that mama bears are going to protect their cubs. They're going to do whatever it takes. And bears are big, and they will destroy you. They will just wreck everything about your life. And mothers can do the same thing. So don't get between a mama bear and her cubs or a mother and her children because God has wired mothers to look after their kids, doesn't he? Whether it's, in the, whether it's bears, whether it's geese, whether it's whatever, you name it, mothers protect their children. They can't help it. It's a part of how God made us. And we're going to look at a passage today about a mother bear. Well, it doesn't exactly say that. But it's close. We're going to look at a mother who would do anything for her, chill, her child. So we're looking at Matthew. If you've got your Bibles with you, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. Oh, and by the way, I should have mentioned this. Talking about bears closest I will ever get to referencing a certain hockey team while, while preaching. Closest you'll ever hear me get. But we're in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28, looking at a mother who will do anything for her child. And as we read this passage today, as we get into it, I want you to think about a couple things. I want you to think about where do we go for help? Who do we go to for help and why? And then how do we approach the one who can help us? Who do we go to and how? How do we approach them? So let's look at God's Word to get together today. Matthew 15, starting at verse 21. It says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for gathering us together on this Mother's Day. We thank you that you, the word of God is alive and living because of the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, speak to us today through your word. Show us how to respond to it. Teach us today, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So on first reading, you might have some questions about this text. So let's work through it and make sure we understand exactly what's happening here. You'll notice that it it starts by saying, leaving that place. Where was Jesus leaving? Well, he was leaving the region of Galilee on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. If you have a map in your Bible, you'll see it's pretty clear. It's a big, big space there called Galilee. And he goes north of there to this region of Tyre and Sidon. In fact, it says he withdrew. And that word withdrew is very important. Um, he was 
distancing himself geographically from the Jewish leaders, just as he was distancing himself from them in terms of their teaching and their understanding of religion. You see, he, he was leaving the area that we would think of as Israel and heading into Gentile country here. Mark's account, if you want to flip over with me to uh, Mark chapter 7, we have a parallel passage here. It speaks to the same story, uh, starting in verse 24. And Mark gives us some other details that Matthew doesn't give us. In fact, Mark says, it says, He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Jesus wasn't looking for a, uh, wasn't trying to get away and do ministry here. He was looking for a break. He was, he was distancing himself um, from the people he'd been ministering to, but he wasn't looking for a public ministry. So he goes to this area, which is called Phoenicia, north of Galilee, in an area administered by Syria. So while he was there, in verse 22, we read that a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. It's important we understand who this woman is. She's a Canaanite. Do you remember the Canaanites? Remember the Old Testament when uh, the nation of Israel was entering into the promised land? The Canaanites were one of the people that were marked for extinction by God. God said, when you enter the land, wipe them out. They were the enemies of God's people. Long-time enemies of the Jews. Now, obviously, they didn't wipe them all out because we have at least one left. There was more than that. The Jews didn't always do what they were told. But this Canaanite woman, you need to understand, represented the enemies of God's people. Mark's account gives us a few more details about this woman. It says she was a Greek speaking to her culture. And it says she was a Syrophoenician. That's just a fancy word that puts together the words Syria and Phoenicia. Remember we said Phoenicia was administered by Syria. Syria and Phoenicia, Syrophoenician. You can impress someone later with that. The point is this was probably the least likely person to approach a Jewish rabbi or a teacher, which is what Jesus was. Because of her nationality, a Canaanite, because of her culture, a Greek, because of her gender, we know that men and women did not always associate with each other in those days. And because of her religion, she was not a follower of God, she was a Gentile. This woman, this mother, was the total opposite of God's people. And yet... She cries out to Jesus, crying, begging, imploring him, addressing him as Lord, son of David. Lord acknowledges that he, his preeminence, his superiority, maybe even his deity. Son of David is a messianic title, means savior. This Canaanite woman, this mother, cries out to Jesus even though positionally she had no claim on God 
She wasn't a follower of God or on the Messiah. Yet somehow she recognizes Jesus for who he is. Lord, son of David. She recognizes him as the Messiah. And interestingly enough, we know someone else who recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, right? Remember in Matthew chapter 16, Peter, his great statement of faith. We like to quote it all the time. Jesus asked, who do you say I am? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's not till next chapter. We're in chapter 15, and here we have a Greek Gentile woman acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah before we even have Peter's great statement of who Christ was. This is really quite a unique passage. And of course, she brings her request before God, before Jesus. She says, have mercy on me. You see, she recognizes her position. She recognizes that she deserves nothing. She has no claim on the promises of God, on the grace of God. She can only beg for his mercy. In spite of, it's like she's saying, in spite of who I am, please have mercy on me. She needs Jesus' help. But she can only get that if he were to choose to be merciful to her. And she humbly comes to Jesus and asks for help in spite of her position and in spite of who she is. And her request, of course, is for her daughter, who is demon-possessed. Not just demon-possessed, but suffering terribly. Mark's gospel and other translations refer to it as an unclean spirit or an evil spirit. This was not just some minor ailment. This girl, this daughter, was suffering terribly because of her demon possession. And we see Jesus just as we would expect him to do in verse 23. All we know about Jesus, he did not say a word. He didn't say a thing. It's not what I was expecting the first time I read the passage. But Jesus totally ignores this woman. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. It's like, well, we couldn't get to Jesus. Let's go to his disciples. She is persistent. She is bound and determined to find a way to help her daughter. No response from Jesus, so let's ask the disciples. And so Jesus finally answers, but not her. He answers his disciples and says, in verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He explains why he won't help her, why he won't answer her. He didn't come for the Gentiles, he says. He says, I came for the lost sheep of Israel, for the Jews only, for God's chosen people. That's where his ministry was. Matthew 9, 12, he, he talks about coming to the sick. It's the sick who need a physician, and that's who Jesus came for, for the Jews that had lost their way and they needed a savior. But in verse 25, the woman 
came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. The passage in Mark's a little stronger. It says that she fell at his feet and begged. That, that word in there is the same word that we often translate as worship, proskuneu. That, that prostrating oneself at the feet of another, total humility. She worships him. She is persistent, but very, very humble. And notice she drops the messianic title. Now she just says, Lord, help me. So Jesus finally speaks to her and he replied in verse 26, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs or to their dogs. That's kind of harsh. I don't know, first he ignores her and now he calls her a dog. But what he's saying here is God's blessing is for God's children, for Israel. He says it wouldn't be right to take, literally the way that, tra- that passage speaks is that it's not right to take the bread out of the children's mouths while they're trying to eat it. It's not right to take it out of their mouths and give it to their dogs. You see, the Jewish people regularly referred to Gentiles as dogs. It was not a nice thing, probably even more insulting than it sounds to you today. Because we were talking about these mangy, mongrel, wild dogs that roamed around in packs or scrounging to try and find enough to eat, unwanted by anyone. They were the lowest of the low that you could think of, and so it was the biggest insult they could think of would be to call a Gentile a dog. It's uh, not uncommon in many cultures. Um, some of you know I grew up on the mission field in Kenya. And from a very young age, we learned a Swahili word, um, shenzi. Shenzi is, is that word, that word for this mongrel, unwanted, wild dog. And if you ever wanted to cause a fight or start a fight, or maybe get yourself hurt real bad, all you had to do in Kenya was call someone else a shenzi. And you would pay for that comment because it was such a strong insult we knew as even as children in Kenya don't use that word just just you put it I mean it wasn't considered a swear word it was just Jesus don't use it because you will get yourself in a serious amount of trouble culturally over many different cultures and nationalities that's the biggest insult you can give is to call someone a dog But that's not the word that Jesus uses. He doesn't use the same word that the the Jews used when talking about the Gentiles. He uses a slightly different word that refers to, if you were to translate it really accurately, and some of your translations might say this, it's the term for little dogs. You could read that passage. It could say, it is not right to take the little children's bread and toss it to their little dogs. And that term was not to be applied, was not referencing the wild, mangy, mongrel dogs, but that term actually referred to domesticated dogs, the ones that lived in the house 
with the family. This is very, very important. Because it changes the whole illustration. It changes what Jesus is saying. And Mark adds a little extra insight for us. If you flip back to Mark chapter 7 again, he records Jesus as adding a little something before the comment about not taking the children's bread. Here Jesus says, First, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. This is a different implication, isn't it? This is saying that Jesus' ministry was to the Jews, not the Jews only, but to the Jews first. And that implies that there is hope for the Gentiles. There is hope. And we know that's already true. Right? If you know your Jewish history at all, you um, look back in the covenant God made with Abraham. He stated, God said to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed through your offspring. He didn't say just the Jews or just the nation of Israel. He said all nations will be blessed. So from the beginning of time, God has had the door open for the Gentiles. In fact, if you were to go to the Jew, the Jewish temple in the time of Jesus, you would find the outer court. The most outer court of the temple is called the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles were allowed to come to the temple to worship. Now, they didn't have a place of prominence, and they could only go so far, but they could come to God, and they could worship God. But I think it's still a little harsh that Jesus called this woman a dog. Even if he was referring to her as a pet dog, I wouldn't like that. But look at how she responds. She is so quick and insightful and to pick up on what he's saying. In verse 27, she says, Yes, Lord, even the dogs... But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So first of all, she agrees with him. Instead of saying, how dare you call me a dog? Who do you think you are coming here to my area of the country and calling me a dog? No, she humbly agrees. She says, yes, Lord. But then she continues his own illustration. She picked up on exactly what he was saying. She admits she's undeserving. She's aware of her helpless state. She's a, she doesn't argue or get defensive. But she humbly lets Jesus know that, she, that the scraps that could fall from the table would be enough for her. She's unworthy yet still hopeful. But she's also very perceptive. I mean, Jesus isn't talking in plain language here. He's being a little cryptic, talking about children and bread and, and dogs. and Often like he spoke in parables, right? Remember how many of the Jewish people didn't understand the parables when Jesus spoke in them? They didn't get it. And yet here, this Canaanite Gentile Greek mother, she gets it. She understands what he's talking about. And she actually continues his illustration for him to continue 
to ask for what she wants for her daughter. Verse 28, then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. (laughs) Jesus commends her for her great faith and grants her her request. Her daughter was instantly healed. If you look at Back over in Mark, there's an additional uh, sentence there that says that she went home and found her daughter lying on her bed. The demon was gone. Totally, miraculously, miraculously healed by Jesus. Notice Jesus calls her faith great. You see that adjective in there? Jesus only calls, at least in the written word that we have here, he only called someone's faith great one other time. And that was with the centurion who came asking on behalf of his servant. Isn't it interesting that the only two times in the Gospels that we have recorded that Jesus uses that term great faith, he commends someone for their great faith, they were both Gentiles. Neither of them were Jews. Some commentaries, commentators say it's because He was making a point about the faith that was lacking among the Jews and how much greater the Gentiles' faith was because of that. Another commentator said, it's interesting that the hungry children, the Jewish people, the hungry children are largely unaware of their need and yet a little dog, a Gentile, is crying out for God's blessing. This is a turning point in Jesus' ministry. This is the turning point because Israel is in the process, the Jewish nation is in the process at this time of rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. Yes, there are some that are following him, but we know how the story goes, right? We celebrated a couple weekends ago, Easter weekend, Good Friday. The Jewish people crucified their Messiah. They rejected him as their Messiah. And yet here we are, before those events even, seeing Jesus paving the way for a ministry to the Gentiles. Remember how Jesus had trouble? That's probably not the best way to put it. But he he couldn't perform the same miracles in Nazareth, his hometown, as he could in other areas. Remember that? You know why? Remember why? Because of their lack of faith. Because they didn't believe who he was. No faith, no healing. And yet here we have great faith from a Gentile woman, a persistent mother, and there's healing. Think about it. It's amazing. Jesus reveals himself, reveals his identity, reveals who he is to the very opposite of the Jewish people, and especially the Jewish leaders. Do you remember why Jesus did miracles all throughout the Gospels? It states very plainly that he did the miracles so that they would believe that he was the Son of God, that he was their Messiah. So if Jesus used miracles to reveal himself for who he really was, that in doing this miracle for this Gentile woman, he was revealing his true identity to her. And it's not just, remember, it's not just any 
Gentile person here. The Canaanite, an enemy of the Jews, a woman, a Greek. She should have been shunned by any good Jew. They would have had nothing to do with her. In fact, when Jesus ignored her the first time she cried out, the disciples probably thought that was a good thing. That's right, you. Ignore that person. That's what we do to Gentiles. Instead, her faith is commended. Instead of being shunned, her faith is commended and her request is granted as Jesus reveals himself to her. It's really a very remarkable portion of Scripture. And I hope you understand it better, but it's not enough to just understand it, is it? I'd like to ask you today, what are you going to do with it? What can we learn from this? What can we apply to our lives today, tomorrow, next week? Well, I'd say first of all, what we can learn is that we need to recognize who Jesus is. Just as this Canaanite woman recognized Jesus for who, she, for who he was, we need to recognize Jesus for who he really is. We need to recognize him as Lord and as Savior, Messiah. Without that starting point, we have nothing. Because if Jesus isn't who he said he was, then so what? He was just a prophet. He was just a good teacher. Someone wrote a really good book about him. But we know, we know that he was our Lord. He is our Lord. He's our Savior. We need to recognize that truth. We need to hold fast to it. We need to acknowledge who Jesus is. Secondly, we need to recognize that Jesus didn't just come for the Jews. He came for everyone. He came for the Jews, the Gentiles. He came for men and women alike. He came for every ethnicity. Not only that, he came for everyone regardless of their situation. He came for the worst of the worst by human terms and the best of the best. Jesus makes no distinction. God makes no distinction. His grace is available for everyone. There is hope for everyone. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We need to recognize who Jesus is. We need to recognize that he came for every last one of us. And then recognizing that and acknowledging that you can approach Jesus in faith with humility and persistence. You can approach Jesus in faith with humility and persistence just like that Canaanite mother. Now when we talk about faith, you need to remember this is a God-given faith. This is not something we somehow drum up inside ourselves and we figure out how to have faith in God. No, you can't approach God without the faith He gives you to approach Him. The mother in this text, 
I wish she had a name, so I'd stop referring her to as the mother, but we don't know her name. But the mother in this text could not have understood all she understood about Jesus unless God had given her her faith. I believe God revealed himself to her before Jesus revealed himself to her. Her great faith was a gift that God gave her. And if you are a believer here today, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if God has saved you, that means God has given you great faith. I know that because on our own, we don't have the ability to put our faith and trust in Jesus. We don't have it. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, it says. So we don't have anything to bring to God. If you are a believer here today, I know that God has given you faith. So my challenge to you today is what are you doing with that faith? Are you sitting on it, secure in, yep, I got faith? Or are you exercising your faith today? Are you acting upon your faith? You don't want to have a dead faith like we read about in James, that faith without works that is dead. James chapter 2, in case you want to look it up. You need to act upon your faith. Use your faith. And if you're not a believer here today, if God has not saved you yet, maybe today is the day that God is giving you the faith to put your trust in Him. If you feel something inside of you saying you need to acknowledge God for who He is, you need to cry out to God for help, that is God putting faith in you to reach out to Him to see Jesus for who He really is. And He can be your Lord and Savior today, just as He was for that mother who cried out to God by the faith that God gave her. So you need to approach Jesus in faith, but you need to approach with humility. You need to understand your position before God. We bring nothing to the table. We are unworthy of anything. I know we don't like to think about that. We like to believe there's at least some semblance of good within us that we can bring to God and say, look, I'm not entirely helpless or hopeless, but we are. We are totally reliant upon the grace of God. You can't come to God with an attitude that he owes you something. You can't come to God and try and make a deal. Right? We can't say, well, God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll do this for you. Or because of I've done all this for you, can you please do this for me? It doesn't work that way. Anything we have that we could say, look, God, what I've done for you is nothing. We've got nothing. You need to come to God in humility, totally reliant upon His grace and His mercy, just like the Syrophoenician woman did. She knew she, knew she had nothing, 
and if she cried out for his mercy anyways, and we can come to him the same way in total humility. But it's not just humility. We approach Jesus in faith with humility and persistence. Never give up asking. Mothers today, I know some of you are praying for your kids. You're praying for your kids for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's because they're not walking with the Lord. Don't give up. Never give up. You see, if God is going to answer our prayers, He has to be able to answer our prayers and willing to answer our prayers. We know He's able. He's the God of the universe. He can do whatever He wants. He spoke life into being. Certainly he can, you know, help my daughter feel better today. That's, that's nothing for him. God is able, but is he willing? I don't know. Do you know? How do we know if God is willing or not? I don't think we can. So in the absence of that knowledge... Don't stop asking. Continue to ask God for what your heart's desires are. And, but ask believing He's able in humility and then trust His good and perfect will. Because God will always do what's best and God will always do what's right because He's God. He can't do anything else. How does this affect your prayer life? I think the model we see here of the possibilities of how God can answer us is quite clear in this passage. When this mother, this persistent mother, first approached Jesus, he ignored her. Do you ever feel like that when you pray? You feel like you cry out to God and you... You lay, your, you lay it all out there and say, God, I just need your help with this or that or whatever. And you get nothing. You feel like God is just silent. Sometimes he is. He was here. What do you do? You persist. You keep asking. You keep praying. And then sometimes when we pray, we think we get no for an answer. That's how Jesus answered her at first, right? He said, no, this isn't for you. God's blessings are for God's children, not the Gentiles. Sometimes God says no, or we think he says no. So what do we do? Well, according to this passage, we should keep asking. We should keep praying. Don't ever give up because eventually, in this passage at least, God answered and blessed this woman by healing her daughter. So I'd encourage you today to persevere in your prayers. Someone reminded me after the first service, he said, God will either change you and your desires or he'll change your circumstances. And we leave that up to God. God's good and perfect will. 
Has God given you faith today? Approach him with that faith, with humility and persistence. But approach him. Don't sit on it. God is our Father. If you are a believer and have put your faith and trust and, and God has saved you. Remember last week, Pastor Rick preached about how we have been adopted into the family of God. We are children of God. So approach God, your Father, with your requests. He wants you to come to Him. He doesn't want you to sit back and say, well, thanks for the faith, God. Really enjoying it. He wants you to act on that faith and come to Him as Father. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing. So come to God, approach Him, approach Him with humility and persistence. Don't have a dead faith. Exercise your faith. Use your faith. Come to the Father. Come to Jesus. Whether it's for the first time or maybe you've been a believer for a long time but you just stopped coming to God. He wants you to come to Him again. And again, and again, and again. He wants a relationship with you. Approach Him in faith, but with humility, and be persistent. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank You for Your Word this morning. And I pray, Lord, that You would... Give us ears to hear and understand your word today, that we would not leave this place and just go back to life as usual, but we would leave here changed, that we would leave here closer to you, more in tune with you, more able to approach you in prayer, more aware of who you are as our Lord and our Savior, our God. Lord, help us to never give up as we let our request be made known unto God. That we would constantly be seeking you and seeking your grace and your mercy in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Jesus didn't accidentally run into a Canaanite woman while he was on vacation. Trying to get some downtime. He didn't just happen to run into the most perceptive, clever, persistent mother on the face of the earth who somehow persuaded him to show grace and mercy to the Gentiles. No, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly where he was going, who he was going to meet, and what he was going to do. God gave this persistent mother the faith to believe in Jesus and approach him and beg for mercy. Has God given you that faith today? See, the most remarkable thing about this faith, this faith that we sing about, the most remarkable thing is that God gives us all the faith we need to have faith in Him. <laughs> we, we don't have to figure it out. We don't have to figure out, how can I have more faith? God gives you the faith you need to have faith in Him. 
to come to him. So let's exercise that faith. Come to Jesus in humility and with persistence. Trust him with every aspect of your lives, your family, your children, your parents, your kids, your friends, your school, your work, everything. Maybe you have questions about this. You're not sure what this all means. We'd love to talk to you about it. There'll be some pastors at the front here after the service. Love to explain things further or Pastor Kelvin will be in the connections room after the service as well. You can be with him there. We would love to explain more to you about Jesus. But all of us need to approach Jesus by faith in humility and with persistence. So I trust you'll do that today and every day of your life. Have a happy Mother's Day.